Good to see all of you here this morning. Before we do, before we go to the word, uh, I want to recognize all the moms in the room and mothers. If you would please stand, just stand up real quick, so we can get a good look at you. This is how this is uh, after all Mother's Day, and we honor you, moms. All right, thank you. Good to have you all here today. Let's make sure we. Let's make sure we uh, bless moms today and, you know, uh, take them out to eat or fix dinner for them or don't make them do any work today. All right? Thank you for being here. I want to welcome our visitors, those of you that are here for the first time or it's been a long time. Uh, We're glad that you came. We see some familiar faces and some not so familiar, but we're glad that you're here and you're always welcome at Bethany Bible Church. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 9. John 9. We continue our ongoing study of John's Gospel this morning. And we come to a very beloved passage of Scripture in John chapter 9. I'd like for you to I'd like for you to follow as we read the first 12 verses of this great chapter. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, "Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind?" Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground And made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. We come to this passage of Scripture this morning, and we see in it uh, the details of the healing ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is true that all sickness, death, and decay are the result of human sin. 
We are as the dust of the ground, and unless the Lord returns, uh, we will see physical, bodily corruption in the grave. It is, a, it is as sure as anything there is in existence, as in Adam all die. In fact, Psalm 103 verse 14 says, He knows our frame, and He remembers that we are dust. Genesis 3.19 says, You will, by the sweat of your face, you will eat your bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Disease and physical ailments have plagued mankind ever since that fateful day in the garden. The bubonic plague killed many millions in Asia and Europe and claimed 20 million people. Nearly half of the population at that time. In 1918, the Spanish flu infected an estimated 500 million people and claimed the lives of at least 50 million. But all this, these, all these numbers and statistics pale in comparison to the ailments that have, uh, to the ailment of blindness in the world. Globally, there are 1.1 billion people suffering from vision impairment. 43 million are completely blind, and another 295 million have severe sight impediments. The other 768 million have varying to mild or moderate vision problems. I once knew a, when I was a boy, my dad used to take me downtown and to the Reynolds building, uh, and it was, an it was an opulent type of building. And we go through the front, those big brass front doors of the building, right to the right, there was a man who sold newspapers, and he was blind. And you give him the money for the newspaper and he would feel it. He could tell exactly what he had, even paper money. You could give him a five and he would know it was a five and people would try to trick, trick him. And he, he never got, he always knew what, what kind of money you'd given him. But he was absolutely blind, couldn't see a thing. I've often thought of that when I read passages like this. About how many blind people there were in the land of Israel during the day of Christ. The real fact is that blindness in the ancient world during ancient times was a serious problem, and it was very common. It was mainly due to the disease of ophthalmia or UV rays from the sun's glare. As serious as physic the physical ailment is, the word blindness is often used in Scripture to speak of the spiritual condition that is as an illustration of those who walk in spiritual darkness. In fact, the word darkness is used many times to describe that spiritual condition. It's used four times in the epistles and 45 times in the gospels. In fact, John uses that word darkness Fifteen different times to speak of spiritual darkness. 
Blindness was often a part of Jesus' miraculous healing ministry. His healing ministry has six, at least six, earmarks that can be followed. First of all, Jesus healed with either a touch or a word. All he had to do was touch someone. And in some cases, all one had to do was touch him and they would be healed. Or he could speak a word and heal from a distance. Second, he healed instantly. There was no waiting. When Jesus healed an individual, they were healed instantly. Third, Jesus healed completely. He didn't partially heal someone. The disease didn't come back. They were healed absolutely, completely. And in your notes, I've given, I've given you uh, passages for all of these. Jesus did not discriminate in his healing. He didn't pick and choose who he would heal over others. In fact, he healed everyone that came to him, Luke 4 verse 40 says. Fifth, Jesus healed real, actual diseases. They weren't, it wasn't a, wasn't a makeup. It wasn't uh, something that someone said they had that they didn't have. They, they were actual diseases and afflictions that people had that he healed. And then, last of all, Jesus, Jesus actually raised the dead to life. Dead people came back to life, such as the, the son of the, the widow at Nain, whose body was being carried to the tomb, and Jesus touched him and he came back to life and sat up. We know from Scripture that the healing of blindness is a work that God does. Nowhere in Scripture is Satan ever said to give someone sight. Only God can heal the blind. We see it in Leviticus 4 verse 11, Psalm 146 verse 8, and over and over speaks of God as the one who heals blind eyes. The very act of giving sight to the blind proves Jesus' deity and his Messiahship. This is the third of Jesus' healing related to blind people in the Gospels. Now, curing the blind was a, part, a common part of Jesus' healing work. Uh, of all of the cures that Jesus gave <clears throat> to blindness, this, this one in John 9 stands out as the greatest and the most important for two reasons. One was because of the doctrinal discussion that had taken place in the temple with the Jews through chapter 8. If you'll recall, over and over again, Jesus speaks of himself as the Son of God, as the one who came from the Father, as the one who spoke for the Father. Over and over, it had to do with the Word of God and Jesus as the one bringing that Word. And so, the teaching was the Word given by the Son which it was a stark difference. There is a stark difference between what the Jews did in chapter 8 and what this man, this blind man does in chapter 9. The Jews rejected the word of Christ and would not receive it and literally blasphemed him 
as an illegitimate. But this blind man believed what Jesus said and acted on it. It's a great difference between hearing and rejecting and hearing and acting. Secondly, because of the, this miracle was carried out on one who was born blind instead of one who had lost his sight sometime in life, uh, this makes this miracle much more notable than many of the others. Now let's start at verse 1 because we're only going to get to verses 1 and 2 today. And let's look at uh, what actually took place here. It says, as he passed by, he saw a, blind, a man blind from birth. Now this miracle took place near the temple because many sick and lame and blind people came there to the temple to beg. I'm sure that as they, as they lined the streets or the, the walls going into the temple, many people coming to the temple would be uh, more inclined to give to the, those who begged than if they were out on a, a, a road or another street in Jerusalem. The point is that there were, there were beggars everywhere in Jerusalem. This man was one of those beggars. And he had been seen at the temple many times. Verse 8 reveals that. People knew who he was. They had seen him there begging. But there's a beautiful story, a picture of the grace of God here. Because this blind man was sought out by Christ. Jesus saw him. He didn't know Jesus was there. And so you, ha you find Jesus seeking out and finding th those who are lost or in the blindness of sin. As in all things Jesus did, he was directed by the Spirit of the Father to walk in this particular way, to find this particular man at this particular time. That's, all, that's always the way it is in God's economy. God never does anything by chance. It's always with purpose. It's always planned out. The very fact that you are a child of God was planned out by God from the foundation of the world. And the time that it took place when you came to know Christ, it, all, it, it was all planned beforehand. All the circumstances. Think of how many circumstances could have hindered that. And yet, God overrode those circumstances to find you. <clears throat> Herbert Lockyer in his book writes, A marked feature of this man's case is that he never requested a cure, nor was he brought by others to Jesus to heal. He was just sitting there begging. This is the grace of God in action. God seeking out this man to show the character of his amazing grace. Did this man deserve to be healed of his blindness? No. No more than any of us deserved to be healed of our spiritual blindness. Like the man at the pool of, of Bethesda, this man was singled out. Can you imagine how many other people sitting there were sick or lame or blind sitting there? And Jesus went to this one man. 
He was to be the recipient of God's grace. If it were not for the grace of God, listen carefully to this. If it were not for the grace of God walking near to you and me, we wouldn't be saved today. We would still be blind beggars wallowing in our sin. We would all be in the darkness. Because Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now there is an important note to be made at the beginning of chapter 9. We have chapter divisions in the scripture. But those chapter divisions were put in by, by later by men who sought to make it easier to follow and find things in the scriptures. But sometimes, and most of the time, those chapter headings uh, do help us. But sometimes they are placed in the wrong places. <clears throat> and they end up obscuring or uh, obstructing the flow of the text. And this is one of those places. At the end of chapter 8, we see Jesus <clears throat> as he claims that he was the I Am. We see the Jews picking up stones, as it says, to throw at him. And Jesus, it says, hid himself and went out of the temple. That is, he went out of the temple enclosure. He was in the temple, and when they picked up the stones to throw at him, he hid himself supernaturally and moved through the crowd to get out of the temple enclosure. And as he was leaving, as he was passing by people, hidden from them, he stopped and saw this blind man. Now when we put all that together, we can see that Jesus, while he was fleeing for his own safety, stopped and stayed where this man was to show mercy on this man who was born blind. Now that's us. That's every one of us in this room that knows Christ in the forgiveness of sin. He stopped where we were so that He could show His grace and shower His grace upon us. Because we were born blind. And we were relegated to stumbling in the darkness like this man did in his physical darkness. But Jesus took time to stop and we had our eyes opened. If you've never had your eyes opened to your own sinfulness, if you've never come to the place where you, before God, you've recognized that you were a sinner that was stood in judgment, maybe today is your time when Jesus will stop where you are shower His mercy and grace upon you. Jesus didn't let the threat of a personal, of a persecution keep Him from doing the will of the Father with this poor, blind beggar. There's a great lesson for us. The Jews had summarily rejected Jesus' words and in essence drove Him from themselves 
considering that they had no need of what he offered. How many times have people done that? I did it for the first 19 years of my life. Every time Jesus would stop, I would say, go. Leave me alone. But he didn't leave me alone. He kept, he kept on me. To those that were in need, they were poor, they were destitute, and they were paralyzed by the darkness, Jesus stopped. And when the great majority of the Jews had excluded him, had been excluded from his light, Jesus was to be the light that shattered the darkness of this blind beggar and people just like him. Listen to what Isaiah 9 verse 2 says. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. They had so many opportunities that were spurned. And now Jesus goes to the poor, to the down and out of society. They were like the Israel of old, these Jews. The ones that rejected him were like the Israel of old who rejected God's word through Moses. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of your Bible in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Look at, verse, look at chapter 29. And notice with me verses 1 through 4. This is what it looks like to reject the God of heaven. Verse 1. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab. Besides the covenant that he made with them at Horeb. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them. You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. To Pharaoh and to all his servants. And to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, and those great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand, or eyes to see, or ears to hear. You see, hearing God's word, understanding God's word, Seeing God for who He is and who you are is a work of God alone. You can't, without God intervening, you could never understand it. You could never see it and you would never hear it as it is. God is the one who comes. Beloved, don't be like the Israelites who spurned God's word. Take, it, take His Word to yourself and live it, believe it, so that you can have life and so that you can have light to walk in this dark world. So Jesus saw the blind man. Verse 2, and His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man had sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
We're told that it was Jesus who saw the blind man. His disciples were probably oblivious to this man or maybe any, to any of the other beggars that were there. there were, around Jerusalem, there were beggars everywhere. I mean, put it in the context of our day. When you drive into the city, you see the people standing on the corners. But you see it so much that you don't see it. You become oblivious to the fact that they're there. This is no doubt what happened because there were many beggars that lined the streets of Jerusalem and plenty at the temple. Beggars were everywhere asking for alms. And we're told that the disciples, we're not told how the disciples knew that this man had been born blind. But Jesus knew that he had been born blind. He had a a congenital blindness. Maybe Jesus told them, this man was born blind. Maybe they heard it from another source. We just don't have that information given to us in the Scriptures. The point is that they knew, and that created a question. In their minds. They thought, as most Jews thought, that if someone was sick or suffering from some malady or some disease, it must be because someone sinned. This thinking is not completely wrong. Because all sickness and suffering is the result of of Genesis 3 being carried out on mankind. When Adam fell, the process of suffering and death fell on the human race, and it was passed from Adam to every single individual. And so you have, there, there are cases in Holy Scripture where there is a direct connection between a particular sin and the suffering that, Followed that sin. For example, in Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses, and Miriam was struck immediately with leprosy. The consequences of her speaking against God's spokesman. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul says that many of the in the Corinthian church were sick and some had died because they had taken the Lord's Supper wrongly. They had not prepared themselves. They had not <clears throat> sought the Lord as they should have without evaluating themselves beforehand. And therefore, they were guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And many of them were sick and some had died. So in the disciples' minds, as in most of the Jews of that day, they presupposed the closest connection with some specific sin that had taken place as the reason this man was born blind. Isn't that sometimes what we do? When we see someone suffering or with sickness or something happens to someone, a tragedy or an accident, don't we sometimes think, I wonder, I wonder what they did to cause this. 
And we really can't think like that. Because we don't know. It's possible. But the point is that we see some, we see these things, and we need to understand that several things point to that not being the case with this man. The disciples asked, Who sinned? This man or his parents? This is a common question that's often asked. Number one, first of all, how can this blindness be something that he did when he hadn't been born yet? Because you see, the, the rabbis of old thought that children in the womb could sin. But that doesn't hold with what scriptures teach. Romans chapter 9. Turn with me. And we'll go to the, one of the most controversial portions of scripture that there is. <clears throat> but sometimes we have, to, uh, we have to look at the controversial to get the truth. Romans 9. Notice verses 10 and 11 where God speaks about his sovereign Election, and he points out that it wasn't because of the acts of either of the boys that Rebecca gave birth to that made him choose one and reject the other. Notice what he says, verse ten: When Rebecca had received children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad. In order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. Now what is he saying? <clears throat> He's saying that the two boys that Rebecca gave birth to, neither one of them had done anything bad or good because they had not yet been born. The Jewish view was that Children in the womb could sin. And they cited Psalm 58.3, which says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. But as I look at that passage, it says, from the womb. They go astray from birth. This man hadn't done anything wrong. That made him be born blind. And that's true for another reason. The disciples offer the only other conclusion. His parents must have done something wrong. Well, if he didn't do anything wrong, then, Lord, was it his parents? And is he paying for their sin by his blindness? It is certainly true that sin is passed on in childbirth. It is the sin nature that is inherent in the father's seed. And suffering in general is due to that 
to that happening, to that being passed on. So what are they talking about? They're, they're talking about, is, they're asking, is his parent, did his parents do some specific sin that caused him to be blind? They would have no doubt been thinking about passages like this. I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. I keep steadfast love for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and transgression and sin, but to those, but will no, by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You see there? Parents passing their, parents sinning and their children paying for it in the aftermath. Hmm. Exodus 20, verse 5, 34, 7, Numbers 14, 18, Deuteronomy 5, 9. All these passages say the same thing. That God punishes to the third and fourth generation. But these passages cannot be understood as specific sins that their children pay for. These passages have to be understood in a national and societal sense. The evil of a given society has a corrupting effect on the children of that society. And the children follow the sins of their parents as they live and then their children follow that and then their children follow that. You can see it very clearly. A good example of this was in the Exodus when the children of those who left Egypt suffered in the wilderness because of the disobedience of those Israelites before them. So it is not talking about children paying for the individual sins of the parents. It's talking about the national, the societal sins that children follow. Deuteronomy 24, 16. Listen to this carefully. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor children shall nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. Now this is important because you find, you find a lot of people in, our, in the evangelical world that believe that they're suffering because of something mama and daddy did. And... That's possible in society, but not in individuality. Jeremiah 31, verse uh, verse 27, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast, and it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck them down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build them up, to plant desires, declares the Lord. In those days they will no longer say, Fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth have been put on edge. That doesn't happen. 
when the father eats sour grapes, his teeth are put on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be on edge. And it's stated over and over again in Scripture this way. This was the great purpose of this man being born blind. There is a great purpose. Now, some people consider it unfair that God would select certain people to have these kinds of of serious and debilitating diseases and ailments just so that he would be glorified. But there is no sickness, no pain, no disability that is not worthy to endure for the glory of God. See, what we want to do is we want to put all pain out of existence. We want, we want to pray that God would heal every sick individual. And this is why the faith healers have such a following. Because they believe that no one should be sick. No one should be poor. But Jesus said, the poor you always have with you. Sickness is a part of sin and the fallen race. So we pray that God would remove sickness and pain that people endure. And, and it's right and good to pray that as long as we're willing to accept God's final word on it. But we should, we should not pray that God would be glorified through, should we not pray that God would be glorified through those sicknesses as well? We don't often think that way. If one's whole life were defined with such misery and never changed, but gave God glory in the midst of it, then would it not have a greater value than if it never existed? Certainly it would. This man was born for this very day. He was blind for this very purpose, that the work of God should be seen in him. God is good, even in the midst of the worst of circumstances. We all know who Fanny Crosby was. Fanny Crosby was born March 24th, 1820. She died February the 12th of 1915. She was the only child of John Crosby and his second wife, Mary, or Mercy, excuse me. At six weeks old, little baby Fanny Crosby caught a cold. And she developed an inflammation in her eyes. And mustard poultices and that sort of thing were applied to treat the discharges that came from her eyes. Most modern physicians think that her blindness was probably most likely congenital. 
given her age, may simply not have been noticed by her parents. We really can never know. She was an exceptional child. She wrote her first poem at the age of eight, which describes her condition. She later stated, it seemed, in, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank Him for that dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things around me. That was Fanny's own testimony. She was a happy child, and she refused to be pitied. At the age of eight, she wrote these words. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Is it possible to live a life of deprivation, pain, illness, debilitation, and still give glory to God? Indeed it is. And we will see as we pass through this chapter, a man who had never seen anything but believed the word of the one who spoke to him. And he got his sight and eventually gave glory to God because of it. Do you believe what Jesus has said in the scriptures? Have you, has he come by your way and stopped where you are and spoken his words of mercy and grace to you? You say, well, I don't know. I don't know if he has or not. Well, this morning he is doing just that. So when he speaks to you and says, I want to give you spiritual sight. Just say, yes, Lord. That's what I need. I need spiritual sight. I've been blind my whole life. Open my eyes that I might see. And when he does, you will see him. And you can, you can say, Lord, forgive me. And he will forgive you. He will open your heart. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this morning for this Mother's Day and for this Sunday as we've come to worship. We thank you. We praise you for what you have done in our lives, that one day we were like this blind man, spiritually uh, a beggar in the world with no sight, no, no eyes to see you, and you stopped and you opened our eyes. I pray you would do that this morning for the one in this room today that does not see that does not hear, that does not understand, open their hearts to receive the gospel, to see themselves as 
a sinner before you and forgive them, Father. Draw them to yourself. Change their heart and their life. This we pray in Jesus' name, for His sake. Amen.